Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Me Duele podcast. Stuart Anderson here. Just a short introduction to episode 11 before we get into our interview with Matt Ryder and Creighton Ryder. We're grateful for them and thankful for the time they spent recording Creighton and Matt's journey through ALS. Creighton was diagnosed with ALS back in 2007 when Matt was in high school. And Jake and I interview and talk to them about the journey they've had. Pretty fun to hear about uh, the things that they've shared, the things that they've learned. And Creighton even shares some pretty special stuff at the end on what he's learned and advice that he would give to the team or, or anyone listening, really. This is applicable to anybody, not just cyclists. A uh, pretty special interview that we're grateful for, thankful to connect with the Ryder family. Also, express gratitude to everybody, all of our sponsors and team members who make uh, this group Utah's oldest cycling club and team. We're grateful for all the support and love that this group uh, gives to us. So thanks for listening. We hope you love this episode as much as we did recording it. All right. Thanks. All right. Welcome, everybody. Uh, grateful to have you joining us. I'm here with uh, Jake Cook, Matt Ryder, and Matt Ryder's dad, Creighton Ryder. It's the four of us on. Um, a couple quick announcements real quick. Don't forget kit pickup February 4th at Hangar 15. We've got so much stuff um, happening at that pickup from 6 to 8 o'clock. So hopefully uh, everybody will be there. And then team camp March 4th through 7th down in St. George. Jake has got a private group me chat that if you're not on, uh, text Jake and say, I want to be on that. That's where all the updates and messaging and stuff is happening. So grateful for Jake for um, uh, planning that. Um, so that's it. So welcome, Matt. Welcome, Creighton. Thanks for, having Thanks for having me on today. So if you notice, that is Creighton's electronic voice. Uh, I don't know. Is that the right word for that, Matt? What's the what's the correct word for what that is? Yeah, so he has a piece of hardware called a, a Toby, which is like a big, thick iPad. Yeah. And it basically takes any text and outputs this computerized voice. We were playing with different accents earlier, and we were going to go with a country accent, but we we ended on this this basic one today, unfortunately. Um, so Matt's dad, uh, Creighton, was diagnosed with ALS, and uh, we're going to hear his story today. So uh, we're excited to have them both on. I'm going to turn the time over to Jake to introduce Matt and uh, share a few things about their friendship. So go ahead, Jake. Absolutely. Well, it's such a pleasure to be here with uh, with CR, the legend CR, and also, you know, Matt, a lifetime, life uh, long friend that I've grown up with since I was, you know, a little baby. So it's uh, it's fun to have them both on here. This is a, a special, going to be a special episode, and and excited to kind of share um, the stories with both these uh, wonderful people. So I've got a little bio here that's been written by Matt's significant other, Maggie, um, his beautiful wife. Um, and uh, I'll just share it with you. Matt was born in 1991 in Salt Lake City, Utah. He attended East High and was the Leopards' favorite seminary president. <laughs> raised, by, <laughs> raised by mountain-loving parents, Matt learned early on the joys of exploring the outdoors, especially while on skis. She says, think of how a child's face lights, uh, lights up when you see their, their presence on Christmas morning. Times that by 100, and that would be the equivalent of Matt on a good ski day. Is that true, Matt? Uh, I, I would venture to say that's uh, that's probably true. <laughs> good. Outer park, give me one of those and I'm happy. There you go. 
Well, she continues on and says, while he, he held, still holds onto this dream of being a pro skier, he ultimately chose, uh, chose to pursue soccer. He grew up playing locally across, uh, across the country, winning multiple state championships in club and high school. In 2009, he was then recruited to play for BYU, uh, boo, where he uh, competed in the PPL Professional Development League. After his freshman year, Matt served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Lima, Peru. After his mission, he played soccer for another three seasons while pursuing his bachelor's and master's degrees in information system management. As he would say, Matt, master's in Googling, right? Exactly. I'm very good at Googling questions. <laughs> During school and his off-season, he tried both road and tri uh, trail triathlons, despite soccer being his only mode of training at the time. He ended up on the podium for his age group at e in each of his races. His real love for cycling, however, grew over the years as his family and friends participated in the Saints to Sinners bike relay that, to support his dad's fight against ALS. He met his wife, Maggie, in 2012 and married, married four years later. They are, now in the uh, they are now the proud parents of a squishy nine-month-old baby boy. Matt works for Weave Communications at a tech, as a tech lead and software engineer, playing with lots of O's and ones all day. Matt joined me duly in 2017 and competed in Lodija twice, riding uh, on this team, and the friendships it created are a huge part of Matt's life. Also, get back up days are always a happy day in the writer household. When he's not writing, he's either busy trying to make his son laugh, pushing his son on a bike, busy trying to make Maggie laugh, trail running, skiing, or calling Andy Welch for advice on some random house project. <laughs> she nailed it. I got to put that on my bio. <laughs> can, you, can you confirm that, Matt? Is that true? Yeah, let's see how many times I've called Andy in the last month. Man, Andy, uh, Miguel's Andy, favorite. Andy is Andy is the salt of the earth. The salt, just the best, man. <laughs> that was a good bio. We should copy and paste that on LinkedIn. That was good. Dude, I, need, I need to save that for my obituary. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, that's good. So yeah, Thank that's you, that's Matt. So and that's his his wonderful wife. So very cool. Well, um, Matt, maybe we can meet you first, and then we'll meet your dad next. Uh, is that a good plan? Let's just maybe start with you. We've got some questions laid out. Um, do you want to tell us how you connected with this team and, and started riding with Miguel? Yeah. So uh, back in 2017, like right after I had graduated, um, I mean, we had been riding uh, every summer kind of in, in preparation for Saints to Sinners, you know, just kind of like around the neighborhood, get a couple big mountains in a year. And then after that, I had all this time after school, and Jake had already started riding with Miguelé, and he was always talking to me about it, and near the end of that summer, he was like, dude, just come ride with us one morning, and so I came on just a normal Emmy ride. I show up, and it's Jake Stu, Andy, Chip, Jameson Rice, and John Love. Not like the chill pace group by any means. And so we're going up and we're chatting, you know, like everyone's like, we're all talking. And then we get to the switchbacks and I had never been dropped like that in my life. I was so embarrassed when I finally like pulled up to the top. Everyone had been there for like two minutes. And then I'm, and to make things worse, I'm in like a floral kit 
It's like, oh gosh, I look like the biggest Jerry out here. Oh <laughs> We've all and been then, there, Matt. We've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was rough, but I I was somehow allowed to come back and keep writing. And then that summer, Jake and I wrote wrote Lotaje together, and yeah, I've just kept coming since. Uh, okay, Matt, how about you share your favorite Me Dwelling memory? Um, I know you and Jake did Lotaje for the first time, and then you've written the note Porter's Fork. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know why, but it was like the spring of 2018. Everything was super green. That's right. We we were doing it like every Tuesday we had a, it was a Mill Creek ride. And then we got to the top and then all of a sudden, I think it was Dave Sharp was like, well, time for porters. (laughs) And we had, we were like 25 people deep. That's right. And we all wrote up porters together. And it was, I don't know why that sticks out, but that was that was so cool to me just seeing all like everyone just churning up this hill on this tiny road and it was just super green i don't know why that's that's always been one of my favorite memories from the team that was cool and then you and jake did lodija that year was that your first time 2018 2017 was the first year um so yeah it was like right after i joined and uh it was just jake and me in that group oh well Cha and Edward Smart were writing at the time, but they weren't on Omni Dwelly. And I think Harmon was our group too. Yeah, we just um, got dusted by Cha and, and Ed. It was great. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was brutal. So it was like Jake and me writing together the whole time. And Will Moringa too, actually. Shout out to Dutch Cheese Breath. Cheese Breath. And uh, yeah, that was just brutal. And there were all these just low moments like everyone else has. My favorite part though was right before the race, we're we're getting ready and Jake goes, dude, we don't have any of our food. Jake <laughs> made all these rice cakes, and we had stayed with one of Andy Welch's buddies in Logan in oh some neighborhood like 15 minutes away from the start line, and we we literally have 30 minutes until the start, and so it's like, okay, I'll go get them. And due to some impressive driving on my part, I was able to go back pick up six rice cakes that we barely ended up touching but we got back and we started the race on time wow true story hey sometimes you don't plan for that early race nutrition sometimes it gets <laughs> forgotten um it was a great time though yeah let's do um let's hear about your maybe some of your your history your family histories and and uh and your dad's als that'll be a good next piece okay um yeah, so I was raised in a family of cyclists. I mean, we were never competitive, but like biking was always part of my childhood. You know, I, I learned how to ride on the University of Utah campus when, you know, as early as I can remember. And we were always on mountain bike trips, things like that. Um, and then when I was in high school, my dad was di- diagnosed with ALS. And I'll let him speak to it a little bit more um, about the actual condition. But uh, my second year of my mission, while I was gone, my family decided to, as a way to show support for my dad, um, they entered into this race called Saints to Sinners. And this race was basically started by someone else who had a family member that uh, passed away due to complications from ALS. And so they started this race to raise awareness about the condition. And it started in 2009, I think my family joined uh, in 2011. So it's basically a relay race. 
starts in Salt Lake City and goes to Las Vegas. Um, so I think it's 500 and something miles, 530, somewhere around there. How many? 520, 520 miles. And it's broken down into sections that you can then distribute across your relay team. Um, so yeah, they first started in 2011 and they had two 10-man teams and it was really just built up of people from around the neighborhood. So family, friends, neighbors, people from the ward, things like that, just kind of a ragtag bunch. And anybody on a BMX bike? Surprisingly not. Hmm. Although we've seen other interesting types of bicycles out there. We've seen some beach cruisers. Unicycles? <laughs> I haven't seen unicycles out there. Okay, just checking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we wrote it, we've, we've written it every, every year since. Last year it got canceled due to COVID, but each year the, the team got bigger and bigger, just more people wanted to join and support and kind of experience the, the, the highs and lows of sleep deprivation and riding in the middle of nowhere. And yeah, it's, it's been super, it was, it was kind of like the pinnacle of our year. Like it was the, that was our event just because we got that was like that was like the lodija right matt that was like the lodija for the whole group in a sense yeah was, like all was, of our friends like you know none of us were riding competitively and so it was like ramping up was this was always so fun and then you know it, as we grew bigger we we split the teams into kind of like the adult team and the, the younger team and so it was like a lot of the guys my age we had like my sister's friends and everything and it just grew to be, you know, this really fun group of people. Our, our team eventually got up to about 110 people, which is like a fifth of the, the race group. Wow. And yeah, I mean, like, so uh, there, there, there are a couple of doolies or dwellies or doilies yeah, whatever. That, are, <laughs> that, are, that are also on the CR team. So Jake, Jason, Paul Taylor, Ben Naylor, Andrew Williams, Janie Bowen, Evan Cantor, uh, Clark Davis and then I'm sure we'll get some more joining soon but yeah like it's we've we, we've had a really good group uh, join and support my dad in this and so it's we have a lot of good memories and I mean you guys initially start I mean because Creighton rides the don't you, you guys ride together right yeah so I don't know dad you want to say anything this uh so she was captains most of the way for us. The mat takes over in the last leg. So Lisa, my mom, captains for most of the race. She'll kind of ride with him. And then I'll, I'll jump in for the last leg to kind of do that last push into Vegas with him. And we'll talk about that part more. And Matt, and Matt, isn't, isn't, wasn't Creighton the, um, he was one of the, like the only rider with ALS riding in the actual race, wasn't it? No. So that, that's, you know, that's yeah. something special to you about There's the race. Was Creighton was the one, you know, riding this race and, and uh, you know, riding along with him was something special. I mean, that's, you know, everyone knew who Creighton was because he was the man. He was the man riding the race. So that was, it was a special treat. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. And, you know, you'd see other people from the other teams, they'd start to recognize like, oh, that's, that's Creighton. 
and so it, it kind of spread around the race and so people kind of got to see come up and meet him and my mom and it was really cool it was, it was a really fun experience nice um any uh should we move into race i want to hear some of these race stories this has got i mean i've seen instagram posts of the idiocy that takes place with this group of guys <laughs> you want to expand here and actually put it into <laughs> a recorded, yeah, I, uh... recorded format i mean is this a smart a smart move for us <laughs> i don't know if we can talk about everything but uh <laughs> we we can we can definitely touch on some so as as we split up the group um as it got bigger um so we had the youth team and the adult team and then even the youth team we got up to like 50 people um and so that eventually had to be broken up and so we kind of developed you know everyone's in different cars but we had this group of friends within it and we kind of one year we just decided to rent a 15 person van and we threw just a bunch of sweaty dudes in there together and it was later labeled the bro van and so it was like a, a frat house on wheels <laughs> and we we probably can't share a lot of what goes on in there but uh honestly one of my favorite memories from uh from saints to sinners was there's a leg where you're going up out of Penguich, you're going around kind of Penguich lake and climbing up in there before you drop down into cedar city it's the king of the mountain stage and we would always do it all of us together all of the, the younger guys together and one of the legs starts out and you're just you it's like a 1200 foot descent super steep and we're all just you know everyone's competitive everyone's kind of jockeying for position and so we're all in this pace line kind of jumping around each other and then out of nowhere ben naylor comes up in a superman position so feet unclipped legs extended off the back fully supine like completely extended going like 45 just blazing past all of us so dumb but so epic it, it was it was so wild it was a great uh, that was a crazy time what one of my that was wild. what one of my memories of just the bro van essentially just the bro van was um we rented a van one year it was kind of a uh, of a friend a friend's van of a friend and uh come to realize midway through the race didn't have any air conditioning and to hear 15 dudes just stuck in this van and we are going through the valley of fire and there is no air conditioning and and so to basically to fix the air conditioner try to um create some airflow in, in the in the van we had to go to walmart in i think mesquite or somewhere and buy fans and wire it throughout the van so we could get some airflow through the van you I mean it was a sweaty mess, Matt. Do you remember that? Oh, that was brutal. And it's not like we're showering in between legs. Like we're just getting in our bibs and just squishing in next to each other. Getting gooch sores. You know how it goes. Just oh, getting that. Gooch sores. <laughs> oh man, it was brutal. Yeah. And then add sleep deprivation on that. So like no one's getting fussy, right? Like, what a blast. Yeah, it was, it was a, a good time. But my, my parents did want me to talk about some of the more special pieces yeah um, at the end of every race um people will kind of start just like jumping on whatever legs they want um just to kind of ride together like we're not participate I, we're, we're participating we're not racing like we're not necessarily competing in this because our our riders on our team you know we have people riding for their first time right although and then we have people who have you know ridden categorized races so 
there's a big uh, spectrum on our team. And so, yeah, people are just kind of jumping in riding just so they can ride with the people they, they didn't get to ride the rest of the race with. But yeah, near the end, there are a couple climbs as you're going through uh, Valley of Fire. And we have all these photos of, you know, my mom and dad climbing up a hill and there are people riding on either side of the bike, pushing my mom's back. Wow. And it's always been like one of the coolest uh, parts of the race, just feeling like all of our friends support. And for me on leg 30, it's, it's the last climb out of Valley of Fire before we descend into Henderson and finish the race. And just being able, you know, we'll start on a descent and then we start this climb. And by that time it's 105 degrees and my dad will talk about this, but you know, I'll have Jake and Jason right up on my side and then they start pushing my back. And then I have, you know, the rest of my guys, they'll just take turns coming up and they'll come and push my dad and I for 30 seconds drop. And it's just so cool to have that kind of support um, just with everything, you know, my dad goes through with ALS. It's, it's a really special moment. Like every year that is my favorite time. And it's, it's selfish because, you know, I get to feel all this love, but it's so cool to see what my dad has done for people. And so, yeah, it's, it's always been really special to me. Isn't there something weirdly special about those awful experiences that just bind people together forever it's just like it just happens you know it's so cool i mean and it's not like the writing's any harder than what we do just like on a weekly basis but right. just sleep deprivation and everything and then everyone's just kind of whittled to the bone just from you know weather from the crazy heat from crazy wind uh rainstorms yeah you know everyone's just so raw by the end that when we get it, like everyone just cries and hugs it's super fun I also too think I also too think Matt that you know having your dad being you know the person in the race actually riding it with ALS is takes it to another level and I think you know people realize that as they're riding throughout the race they're riding for actually you know they're riding for someone I mean we all every team is obviously riding for someone but having someone physically in the race that you're riding for and being able to ride next to them like you talk about this leg 30 is something that's it's, it's euphoric, man. It's just, you can't put it into words because I mean, until you're there being there, you know, you may not have ALS, but we can feel that connection with, with your dad and with you and everybody else there. And, and uh, it's something that I will always remember. And everyone who's been there will remember because of those, you know, those feelings and, and uh, those experiences. It's, it's been really cool. Nice, Matt. Let, let's, uh, let's meet your dad. I've, I, he's like been sitting in the wings here, just like waiting. <laughs> <laughs> You want to introduce him and maybe maybe tell his story? Yeah, I can do a, a brief introduction, just kind of like starting from ALS. Okay. Um, and he can give a little bit more background after that. Okay. But yeah, so my dad, Creighton Ryder, he was first diagnosed uh, with ALS. That's amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, otherwise known as Lou Gehrig's disease, in 2007 after he noticed uh, some deteriorating strength in his right hand. Um, for that next year, they went around seeking second opinions, uh, but they finally accepted it was ALS in 2008. So ALS is basic disease where your nerve endings die, and so your muscles stop firing. And then, uh, Dad, you might be able to explain this better than me. I should have written out the actual explanation, but <laughs> um, it's basically, yeah, your body just kind of withers away since your muscles aren't 
firing. It doesn't affect any cognitive ability. It's all just neuromuscular. Right. Um, so your nerves die off, which means your muscles die off, which means they shrink and they just kind of are stuck there. But and one interest one interesting thing, Matt and Creighton, is that I mean, Matt's told me this many times on rides that Creighton's an outlier, right? I mean, for how long you've been uh, able to live and survive with ALS is is pretty miraculous. Matt, I'd okay. be I'd be interested I'd be interested to know, you know, as as CR even CR too. You can even comment on this, but you know, as as CR started, you know, started with this thumb and started this process of ALS happening. Matt, like, what was your thought process? And and CR, maybe we can get into this with you. Like, you know, how did this? Tell us about this story. Tell us about how you know your thought process and how your emotions started playing into it. You know, let's. I'd love to hear that. Yes, my dad will be. He'll walk through some of his uh, his feelings as they accepted the diagnosis in in just a minute. So I can talk about uh, kind of what I was going through. So I was a senior in high school when I finally found out. I mean, so. I knew something was wrong because like we were in Powell with you guys and he was having trouble getting up on the water ski just because he, his grip was gone. Like he, he just didn't have that grip strength that he used to from rock climbing. And then he started dropping stuff a lot. And so initially we thought it was just a pinched nerve. And then I just remember, yeah, I was you know, in the fall of my senior year. My parents pulled me in and were just like, Hey, we, you know, they just basically told me it's, it's ALS. And I, I kind of had an idea of what it was, but I was still kind of just dumbstruck and kind of numb at first. And, you know, then after talking to my sisters, it was then like, that's when it kind of really hit and the floodgates opened and it was just kind of like, uh, what do we do? Like, I, I had no idea. Like, I, I didn't know anyone else who had had it. I mean, one of our soccer coaches from high school had something similar, but that was like my only notion of it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty rough. And then literally within two months, no, it was probably like a month later, my dad told us, okay, we're going to uh, Mexico. We're going to go climb Mount Pico de Orizaba, which is the third highest mountain in North America. It was just like, okay, we got to do this. And so time definitely became of the essence after that. Um, there's kind of this sense of urgency where we got to start knocking out all this stuff because we don't know how long we have. And because the, like, like Stu said, it's, it's, uh, it's basically three to five years is what they tell people once you get it. And so there's, there's no way to really map out what you have left. And so, yeah, we, we went down, we knocked out, well, we almost got to the summit. We were, we were knocked off due to weather, but then he came home and then he went on to climb every peak in uh, in Utah, every county high point, and there's a big Salt Lake Tribune article about him. And then um, he went to Europe, climbed Alpe d'Huez with only one fully functioning hand. So it started in his right hand, and then moved up his right arm, then went to his left hand. But so while he only had his left hand and just kind of uh, a weak right arm, they they went and climbed the Alpe d'Huez, and <laughs> he'll talk more about that. But the the cool story about it all like as i was here you know before my mission it started in his right hand so he immediately learned how to do everything left-handed and then as it moved to his left hand he learned how to do everything with his feet 
And then he slowly learned how to do everything with his eyes, you know, and he's basically typed out all the responses today with his eyes, which is extremely hard. Like I've tried to type out a, a four word sentence and it's infuriating. <laughs> it's so hard. And he's, he, you know, he can write out these, these long, long paragraphs and it's, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's been really cool to see him adapt and just kind of see him, you know, play the hand he was dealt. And that's always kind of been the, the part that stuck with me is that you, you learn to adapt, you learn how to change, you deal with it and you move on. You know, if you just sit there moping, it's, it's nothing's going to get better. So hmm. it's, it's been really powerful to kind of have this in my life. Obviously it sucked, but there's been a lot of really cool things that have revealed themselves. So, um, yeah. I, and after that, sorry to actually get to the biking portion. So our, in 2010, 2011, uh, a bunch of our family and friends raised some money to build a custom two-seater bike, which we've ridden centers. It's a, it's a tandem, so a normal seat on the back and then recumbent on the front. So my dad can sit there and pedal without having to put any weight on his arms. Now, how heavy so is that this was bike kind of like, now? what? How heavy is this bike? Explain to everybody. Oh man. So when, when we first got it, it was probably what, in the 40s, dad? 55 when we started and then as as it kind of progressed into his legs and his legs have gotten weaker we got a an electrical assist on it which added another 25 pounds so this thing is like a war machine when we're riding it like it is so heavy and so before like with the electrical assist it kind of has a governor on on uh on the downhills now but before when we would hit descents, oh my gosh, we would be mid fifties and, you know, the snap of a finger, we would fly through stuff. But um, yeah, we've had so many cool, cool memories together on the bike. Like obviously all of Saints to Sinners, but one summer right after I had gotten back from my mission, we decided to climb or try and climb big mountain together on it. And yeah, it was brutal. Like pushing that thing up like even with two of us pedaling it was it was it was brutal but we got to the top and then yeah my dad will talk about the descent it was pretty scary but uh <laughs> especially i mean you're on the no control over what's happening and again he'll talk about it but it's just like on the back i'm just chilling hanging out i'm in like a mountain bike position so i'm upright i'm all comfortable and my dad's just at the mercy of of me just flying around at 50 miles an hour but no, it's it, we we've had so many cool memories. Like despite how crappy ALS is, we've had a lot of really amazing experiences and a lot of really fun memories. Nice, that's awesome. Very cool. Um, I know that uh, Matt and Creighton have put together uh, some some paragraphs that Creighton has uh, put into his uh, voice machine. Matt, do we do we want to play those, or how 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 do you want to do it? Yeah, so uh, we 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 can break it up a little bit. So uh, this next part is kind of uh, we talk about my dad's favorite memory cycling, and or since he's at ALS, and then we can talk about just kind of like his history with bikes and how ALS has kind of played into it, and then we'll talk about some life lessons he's. He's gained through his his fight with fight against ALS. Nice. 
So yeah, Dad, you wanna you wanna tell us about your favorite memory riding with me? Yeah. <laughs> my best memory of Matt. By far, my favorite riding story with Matt is riding leg 30 of Saints to Singers with him. You see, leg 30 comes after being on the move for the past 30 hours, a few hours of poor sleep, and a blistering hot morning. You are physically, mentally, and emotionally drained by that point. Then there's just one leg to go. It's a rather short leg, but there is a decent amount of climbing involved, and by 11 a.m., it's always over 105 degrees. But here, as father and son, we start off with many of our teammates alongside. Everyone feels the weight of the moment, but Matt and I feel the love and the bond between us the most. He is literally pushing me to the finish line and making sure that I get there safely. The others pedal up alongside and take turns helping push for a moment, and then they rotate out. In the end, though, it's just me and Matt, and I can hear his heavy breathing just behind me and feel the stress on the chain as he pours every bit of his strength into getting us to the top of the climb. We tell each other through tears of our love for each other. It is truly a magic moment that we have enjoyed together for many years. That emotion carries through the next few easy miles to the finish line, where by that time every one of us is bawling. It is really symbolic of the support and love we feel from all our friends as we fight ALS to the finish. Special. Thanks, Grady. Dang. So good. Yeah, that, uh, that like is, it's, it's hard to not break down when we're riding. Like it is so special being able to ride with all of our close friends. And then at that last push, just kind of be me and him just kind of slugging it out together and, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it'll always be like one of my favorite memories. And I hope I can share that type of memory with my son. I love that. Thanks, Crane. Thanks, Matt. So good. I, I've asked him a couple other questions just about biking in general. Um, so yeah, Dad, take it away. I've always loved bikes. I got my first mountain bike in 1980. It was a hardtail, hard front 18 speed with simple caliper brakes. The shift levers were just the old friction type, way before index shifting appeared. But boy, my friends and I had lots of fun. I started serious road cycling around 2003, though not nearly at your levels of mileage or watts. When my ALS symptoms started presenting in 2007, I kept on riding. My right hand was affected first, especially my thumb, and that got to be a problem fast. I struggled with that as long as I could, then took a page from Paul Taylor's playbook and moved my right shifter to the left side. It worked pretty good for a while, until symptoms progressed. In 2009, we went to Europe with another couple, and one of our to-do list items was to tick off the app Hues. For those of you who have done this, you'll remember the markers along the route where racers hit the switchbacks too fast on the descent, crashed and died. I was very mindful of this when started back down. By then I was unable to pull the brake levers very hard, especially my right one. I had to really anticipate each turn and plan how I could bail if was coming into a switchback too hot. But it was awesome. When I got back home, my wife convinced me to hang up the bike for good. It was a sad moment for me. Over the next year, I started looking around for some way that I could get on a bike again. Although my hands and arms were short, my balance was fine and my legs were strong. 
I finally found this contraption on the internet, that was just what I was looking for. It was a normal bike on the back, with a long extended front over a 20 inch front wheel, with a recumbent seat on top and boom sticking out the front for the front rider's pedals. It looked like the bike for me. I called the bike maker a guy named Steve Belenke in Philly, and he said there was an owner who had one in Utah, in Logan. My wife and I drove up there to see it, and the owner let us take his for a test drive. As Matt said earlier, I was able to get one for myself through the generosity of family and friends, to which I am forever grateful. The bike arrived with little time to train before the start of the 2011 Saints to Sinners Relay. Unlike a traditional tandem, I had my own derailleur on front, so I could pedal at a different cadence than the person on back, and even stop pedaling altogether if I needed to. So, I wanted to talk about uh, <laughs> switching the the brakes. This is a random tangent, but he swapped the brakes on his mountain bike while I was on my mission. So I came home and then I went to go ride bobsled and I was not aware that the, the brakes were switched. Yes. <laughs> and so that first section, right, when you drop into bobsled, it's that steep, super technical downhill. And on the first bank turn, I, I go to kind of drift into it by, you know, gripping my, my back, my, my rear brake. Unbeknownst mm -hmm. to me, that is now my front brake. <laughs> And I'm I'm over the turn into the trees like immediately. <laughs> so it was good. It was a, a good introduction to what my dad had been up to while I was gone. But nice. anyway, sorry, random tangent. Good tangent. I'm not qualified to tell you what it is like to drive a bike from the back, but it's not easy. You're in charge of brakes, steering, and keeping the bike balanced when you are stopped. Imagine riding your bike with a wheelbarrow full of cement in front of you that you cannot let tip over. On the front where I sat, all I had to do was pedal and not fall off. We never went down while we were riding, but I got dumped off several times when we were stopped and lost balance. A few bumps and bruises, but that is about all. I was lucky. I have to admit though, riding on the front had its scary moments. When you are riding, you realize that you are not in control at all. You're just sitting there with your life in the hands of whoever is in the seat behind you. Case in point, Big Mountain. Matt alluded to it earlier. I enjoyed the climb, but the descent not so much. Two men on a heavy bike equals one heavy load. When you point that load down a steep decline, like Big Mountain, you need a lot of braking power to stay in control. Well, at that time I only had little caliper brakes on the bike, and my rims got hot fast. I was sitting there in my little sling seat with nothing to hold on to thinking, if this front tire blows, I am SOL. I had Matt pull over to make a game plan. We decided that if a tire blew, he was supposed to run the bike into the sit hill rather than risk going over the edge. We then doused the rims with our water bottles to keep them cool until we got down past the switchbacks. It was terrifying at times, and you had to learn to block it out. I learned a lot about trust and faith from these scary moments. But those moments of fear were nothing compared to the joy I felt every time I rode. The sun in my eyes, the wind in my face, the smell of the trees or pastures, the adrenaline on the descent, and even the sweat pouring off as we charged a difficult climb that sucked my lungs dry. Well, that was living. Man against the elements. I miss that today, that's for sure.
Awesome, Creighton. So cool. So cool. I think we put Matt in the front of this thing. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna pump him up, Big Mountain. We. So we we've talked about it. Jason and I used to think we were gonna show up late to a ride on an immigration. <laughs> we like just blow past everyone in that thing. We're doing it. But man, it is terrifying sitting in the front. <laughs> well, and Matt and Matt hasn't hasn't your mother even Crady can even nod his head on this is is hasn't I mean you your mother's tipped over with Crady on it several times hasn't it? It's been so hard to pick up. Oh, both of us, dude. It's, yeah. We, we I, there was one time we were going up immigration, and we pulled over by the firehouse to like wait for someone and. I didn't realize where we'd stopped. It was kind of a slant. And so I put my foot down and the bike just kept going. And I just like poured him out and you know, he can't brace himself with his arms when he falls. Mm. So I just poured him out like onto his face on the cement. It's like, oh crap. And then, yeah, he and my mom have, have done it a couple of times. It's stopping is not easy. Man. Oh man, Creighton, that was so good. Thank you for sharing all those things. Um, I know we've got a, uh, in my opinion, like what I've been waiting for, for the ending here, which is um, really interesting to talk about, which is life lessons learned that you two have learned together, stuff that's changed you and made you, I guess, I guess better men. Um, you know, I guess that's life, but I'll kind of leave this up to Matt to share some takeaways that you've learned, if that's okay, Matt and Creighton. Yeah. I'll tell you a few takeaways I have learned through living with Alex. ALS is a nasty diagnosis. They gave me three to five years to live and told me there is no cure or effective treatment for it. Worse, I knew nearly nothing about it, so there was a huge fear of the unknown for me. Things were pretty grim at that point. Life was seemingly spiraling out of control. We told our family and friends and shared a lot of tears. I still didn't want to accept the death sentence of ALS. I was still pretty sure that it may have been a pinched nerve in my neck. I had some more MRIs done, but alas, my neck was fine and there were no pinched nerves. Gradually, the truth sunk and in I was left facing a pretty bleak future. How long do I have to live? How quickly will I become incapacitated? What do I need to do to get my affairs in order? It was pretty tempting to curl up and pull the covers over my head. But running from adversity is not a great solution, especially when I realized that the world is going to move on with or without me and there was plenty of life still to enjoy. Every one of us have something in common, we're all going to die. I think that's an inescapable fact. So everybody should be thinking about this from time to time and adjusting their course accordingly. Face it, you're going to die. So am I, I received a diagnosis that was a death sentence. They couldn't tell me when exactly, just that average life expectancy for an ALS patient. That's all I had to go on. Meanwhile, I could get hit by a car or die in an earthquake. And so could you. So there's one lesson, life life to the fullest. Every day. From this came my motto, live till you die. Um, Matt, what do you what do you think about your dad saying that? I mean, do you live by the same motto? Yeah, I mean, when we first did the diagnosis, first reaction was kind of like okay everything has to be done like it's our last and then as he's you know we made it to the three to five years and then we made it past the five years and now we are almost at 11 years and so it's like you can't always keep 
saying like, okay, today's my last, but I don't know. We, we've just learned to kind of live in the moment instead of having to be like, okay, we're not going to be back here. Now we're, we're just going to live it. Like this is the only time that there is, and we're going to enjoy it. We're not going to project to the future. We're not going to say this is the last time, but it's, it's affected the way we do everything as a family. We're, we're a lot more present and we, yeah, I mean, we, we, we just focus on living now. I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. I, I don't have a, an eloquent way of, of saying it, but yeah, it's, it's definitely made us a lot more present in, in the things we do. And it's definitely made everything a lot more enjoyable because we know we can't take it for granted. Very cool. That's awesome, man. All right, let's do this next one. Another thing I have picked up along my path is that I have developed empathy for others. Sure, we all have some level of empathy within us, but it took me getting a terminal illness myself to grasp the idea that I am not alone. There are many around me that are suffering too, physically and emotionally. Everyone is dealing with some struggle. It just may not be visible to us, or we aren't really trying hard enough to see. Empathy allows me to see things from another's point of view, understand what someone may be feeling, to be less critical of others, and to expand my own love for and kindness towards others. I don't want to embarrass your son, but this is one thing that Matt M just excels at as a, as a man, you know, riding with Matt and being a friend with Matt. Um, he is just filled with empathy for others and whether it's a ride or, I mean, just life in general, uh, what a great job you've done raising a young man. Can I call you a young man, Matt? <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Who excels at this gift, um, of being empathetic towards other people just a, an incredible thing to see in your family so yeah one one quick thing I mean first off thank you Stuart. that means a lot coming from someone like you but the 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 thing about ALS is yeah it, it has opened our eyes I mean everyone kind of runs into this at some point in their life where you realize like everyone's got their own thing going on everyone's got their own trials everyone's got their own challenges they're facing and Again, as much as ALS has sucked, it has introduced us to some of the most amazing people. Um, some people who are facing ALS themselves, but other people who are uh, dealing with other types of terminal illnesses or just like crappy situations in general. And so it's, it's been really eye-opening, you know, to have to go through this kind of pain, but it's also been really, um, I don't know how to explain it. It's been like a really cool experience getting to meet other people who are dealing with similar or just crappy experiences as well and kind of grow with those people. All right, let's move on. Point number three. As ALS is called a progressive degenerative neuromuscular disease, it means that things are going to continue to get worse for me. My needs are ever changing and that is challenging. Whereas an amputee has to deal with the loss of a limb, he will do the rehab learn to use a prosthetic, adapt to life without a limb, and continue to dial things in. In my case, the situation is always changing. Managing the symptoms is a constantly moving target. Solutions to problems are temporary as the condition gets worse or the disease targets another area. Matt, you want to talk about those slides? Yeah, I mean, I can I can touch on them real quick. So, so a couple of years ago, my dad gave a presentation to um, some medical students about 
his condition and how he was learning to adapt. And he walked through a lot of the things he was having to change in his life to, and learn how to adapt. So for example, one problem was losing grip strength in his right hand. So some of the solutions he did to adapt, he made to uh, adapt to this, he created these little hand hooks that he could strap to his arm and then be able to grab things. He also made an adaptive ski pole grip, which basically like Velcroed his hand to his ski pole. And then he uh, lost wrist strength in his right hand, so he couldn't hold on to his handlebars. So then he built this customized wrist brace so he could still mountain bike for a little while. Um, he couldn't uh, grip utensils. And so they found these bendable, easy grip utensils. You know, he had loss of arm, hand, and, uh, and hand strength in his right hand. And so he learned how to be left-handed, like I said earlier. He couldn't ride on a bike because his arms stopped working. And so he found this tandem bike so he could ride in a recumbent position. And I mean, there's this huge list of, of things he's been able to, of, of these solutions he's found so he can adapt to ALS and basically overcome like each milestone of the, of the disease. And so adaptability has been a huge part. I'd second that too, Matt. I mean, I think uh, for years we had been going down to Lake Powell as a family with the riders and, and it was so fun always to be down there with Creighton because he was like the ultimate MacGyver. He would always Jimmy rig something, make something work, make something fit, or, you know, the angles of the ropes had to be certain angles. And, you know, I think this, this word of adaptability is perfect to describe CR because he is one that is always adapting to the circumstances, the conditions, the environment. I mean, Another example I would share is when we would ski with him, you know, his, he had trouble keeping his neck um, straight up. So he would tie his helmet to a, a rod that would hang up the, behind his, his uh, out of his ski jacket to keep his head straight so he could see. Um, I mean, now he's riding around in a, on a, in a, in a little kind of chair with hooked to a, uh, um, one of those boards, those footboards that people, um, I can't remember the name off the top of my head right now, but one of those hoverboards, a hoverboard. He's, he's made a, a little bench hooked to a hoverboard that he can use his feet to drive around with. I mean, again, CR, you're just super impressive and amazing in every way. And, and uh, this, this bullet point of being adaptable is, is incredible to watch from, 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 a, from afar and, and something special, so. Let's look at the communication issue a bit more. For the first few years, I was fine. My voice was unaffected and I could still use a keyboard. As my hands weakened, I couldn't type, so I adapted by switching to drag and dictation, and suddenly I could write as fast as I could speak. But after a few more years, I couldn't speak clearly enough for the software to understand me, and I had to then find another solution. I started using an on-screen keyboard to type with a mouse, and you can imagine how that slowed me down. After I lost the dexterity to move a mouse, I started moving the mouse with my feet. And now, I use what's called iGaze technology to type and to speak. I type by looking at letters on the screen. It is what I'm using right now to speak to you. You can see now the need I have to constantly adapt to new situations. All right, and this is the fourth point. Um... I used to love to play the guitar. I rarely played for anyone but myself, but I took great pleasure in this and could spend hours learning new and interesting pieces and practicing over and over. As you can guess, ALS quickly brought an end to that pastime, as it affected my hands first. Initially, 
the lack of control with my right, strutting or picking, and left me to play one-handed, which isn't impossible, but in my case was pretty worthless. <laughs> my friend P found me a cool guitar pick that I did not have to pinch to hold, but alas I could never get my thumb to act coordinated enough to use it. So rather quickly, my ability to play my beloved guitars came to an end. That was depressing. Another favorite pastime of mine was climbing. Rock climbing, ice climbing, mountain climbing, all of those things required arm strength and hand dexterity, all of which quite rapidly ebbed away as the ALS progressed. My ever-loyal friends were hesitant to let me bail out of this great sport that brought us together in the first place, so a couple of years ago they pulled and pushed me up a favorite old classic, much to my delight slash terror. It was fun cause I knew the climb was pretty moderate, but it was scary because the bony appendages I used to crawl hands did not do much to hold me on to the rock. So I was occasionally at the mercy of the rope I was tied to and the guy at the other end holding onto the rope. It was a bittersweet moment sitting on top, having enjoyed the climb, but knowing it was probably my last. That was depressing. The list goes on. Lake Powell trips with the cooks? Ha! Huh. Heartbreaking. Golf? Can't keep the club in my grip. Depressing. Tennis? The racket flies over the net. Depressing. No, actually that's kind of funny. Writing? Shaving? Frisbee? Drawing? Depressing. 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 Pretty soon, you can see that I could get overwhelmed with all of this. I'm not a Zen guy, but it dawned on me that I don't need to be weighed down or burdened by all of this depressing stuff and the negative energy that it brings. I'm floating through life like a hot air balloon, and there's a bunch of stuff weighing me down. So here's a thought, why don't I just let go and get rid of some of the ballast? Yes, I've enjoyed so many of these things immensely, but maybe it's time to move on. I don't have to be defined by the fact that I'm a skier, a climber, or play guitar, or can scratch my ear, or am a cyclist. There's so many other things to do, I just need to close some doors in my life and open some new ones. The weight and the worry about what you can't do anymore disappears, and is replaced by the excitement and anticipation of doing something new. Alexander Graham Bell once said, when one door closes, another opens. But we often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the one which has opened for us. So, learning how to let go and not look back has been a powerful lesson for me. Incredible. Thanks for sharing, Creighton. Matt, anything to add? I mean, I'll just butcher it because I'm not as eloquent as my dad. But yeah, I mean, the main thing is there's so much we could be weighed down by. And at first, that's kind of what it felt like. But as we've kind of opened ourselves up to other opportunities, it's it's made for some incredible memories. We've been able to do a lot more as a family than we ever expected. And yeah, I think that that quote by... Alexander Bell sums it up. I think if you kind of look back on what you're missing, you're you're never going to see what's what's open in front of you. So, yeah, as crappy as it's been, and as 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 sad as it is not getting to do a lot of these things with him, it has made it pretty epic for some of the other things we've gotten to do together. So, awesome, awesome. Jake, Matt, go ahead, go ahead, Jake. Yeah, and Matt, what what is I mean, and, and even Craig maybe too. You know what is what does the future hold? I mean, what's what does the future look like? I mean, what's what's your present state right now? Cr Matt. I mean, maybe you can talk for your dad. I mean, 
What are the current situations like right now? Want me to talk to that one down? You want to try? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, COVID has sucked. COVID has made things a little bit more difficult. I mean, my, my mom and dad used to get out multiple times a week on walks and we used to have friends over all the time and not being able to have people come by as regularly is, you know, made things a little more difficult. But again, kind of playing back into these things, it's like, it's it just added to the list of all the other things we've had to let go. And it's just another thing we've had to adapt to. And yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're moving along. He had a bout with uh, pneumonia, which is basically everything just short of a death sentence for people with ALS and he got through it. And so we're, we're still kind of just taking it a day at a time. Um, I mean, another thing, I don't know how many people on the team, I, I'm sure there are plenty who've had their fair share of family members with, with tough illnesses like this. And I also wanted to make sure we highlight uh, the caretakers in all of this. Um, so shout out to all the people who, who have helped. So like my mom, this is a full-time job for her now, taking care of my dad and us kids kind of help where we can. So again, yeah, shout out to all the, all the caretakers and everyone who makes sacrifices to help the ones they love. Well, I just, uh, I really enjoyed being together specifically, um, you know, for anything to just learn from Creighton. I've learned a lot and, you know, I hope everybody that's listened has maybe reflected a little bit about their own personal choices and uh, especially, you know, relationships with those that are closest to them. Um, that's one of the things I've really loved and taken out of this more than anything. So uh, I can't wait to push Jake up a hill one day on his bike and shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll start renting the, the, the tandem if people want to kind of live on the edge. <laughs> well, anybody, uh, anything in, in closing here, we're kind of wrapping up. Um, I just want to thank you guys. Any, anything else uh, as, we, as we wrap up? You got anything, Dad? No. Thanks. Well, I mean, we love you, CR. And this is, this has really been a treat and, and uh, some that's, I think for me, it's been hard. Just, you know, it's, over the last 10 years knowing you, I mean, I've known you my whole life, but just the last 10 years has been, been, uh, you know, so fun to, to watch you grow. And even though you have this, this, this terminating illness, I mean, it's something that's been very special to watch, see your family grow, see your family get closer together and even being spending time with Matt. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, us looking outside, you know, in it's, we only get to see a little snippet. And so I think having this podcast and sitting down with you guys, Give us a little bit of a glimpse inside the life of, you know, Creighton Ryder and Matt Ryder and how they've dealt with it. And I hope those who are listening, you know, there's people out there that obviously, you know, are going through different trials and, and uh, you know, we're so grateful for, for CR for sharing his story and Matt for being on the team and could be, could be more proud to call you guys friends. Thanks, well, thank you. Thanks everybody.